In the 20 plus years of helping people plan for the cost of retirement and long-term health care, we've identified one consistent theme among families and caregivers. People don't like to talk about money. Life care affordability planning helps families who are facing long-term health issues and increasing health-related expenditures to make better informed financial decisions during a time when there are so many unanswered questions. It's time to face this topic head-on, address the emotional charge of discussing money, and discover practical ways to bridge the gap between a long-term health care plan and your ability to pay for it. Hello and welcome to the Life Care Affordability Planning Podcast with Tom Weston Arvet Reed from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. Today we have another special guest, and this is Christy Clark. She is currently the Executive Director for Insight Memory Care Center. She has over 20 years of experience in the field of long-term care. Christy is a licensed assisted living facility administrator where she has worked in both marketing and operation roles. As a certified Alzheimer's disease and dementia care trainer, as well as a certified memory impairment specialist, she has dedicated the last 10 years working specifically with those affected with various forms of memory impairment, their caregivers, families, and the community. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Hi, Christy. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Fantastic. All right, Tom, why don't you uh, well, give us a little more insight into Christy and the work she's done and, and why you brought her on as a guest? Sure. Well, I, I've had the opportunity to be involved with Insight Memory Care Center for probably upwards of 10, 12 years. And one of the things that I've observed in working with a lot of the programs and with, with Christy at the helm of a lot of the programs is many of the conversations that I find that families are having about money when they're also concurrently managing a chronic illness diagnosis like dementia, the discussions that sometimes feel like they're centering around money, I've learned through programs like Insight that they're not really about money. They're about family. They're about independence. And one of the things that I think is important about the Life Care Affordability Plan is how does the planning that we do as financial professionals enable good decision making? I've learned over the last 20 years that good decision making has to be very holistic and being able to have good listening skills to uncover what are the real fears or the real hopes for families when they're using financial language, but they're probably talking about different things. So one of the things in prep for, for this meeting, which I had an opportunity to talk to Christy beforehand, is when we're considering circumstances like individuals or families around a diagnosed individual say things like, you know, I want to keep making financial decisions on my own. We've learned that sometimes that is really an expression of a fear of a loss of independence. And sometimes that financial professionals are, in, are, are some of the first to be able to see some symptoms of a cognitive decline. And when we hear things like, I'm still able to make good decisions, that might be a discussion more about a fear of loss of independence. So I was figuring on asking Christy as a place to start, when families are describing things that you read as a fear of the loss of independence, how do you bring families on the clinical side to be more aware and accepting of help that they might need? That's a great question. And I think that when we're working with families, you know, as soon as you receive that diagnosis, there's automatically this fear of when am I going to have to stop making decisions and knowing that 
they almost feel like they're no longer in control of their own life and they're holding on to anything that they can. And so I think it's really having that conversation with families, especially early in the diagnosis, where you explain to them that the person living with early dementia can make some decisions. And how do you break that down so the person living with the diagnosis still feels in control of some aspects of their life? So, well, it's interesting, too, because in some cases they did it all. And it's not just the loss of independence. Part of it is do they feel comfortable with other people doing it correctly? Right. Right. And I think that also, you know, for a lot of families, you know, it is that individual that has been diagnosed with dementia that was taking care of all the finances. And oftentimes families, you know, especially spouses are unaware that the person with dementia is making maybe bad financial decisions until it's too, you know, yeah. until it's too late. Yeah. And I think that one of the things there's this client that I have in mind that was very resistant to letting other people in the family make financial decisions, not specifically because he was unaware or not accepting of his diagnosis. It's almost as if he wanted to protect other family members, like a less financially sophisticated spouse from the stresses of making financial decisions, particularly on the unknown territory of what do I do when expenses might change with healthcare costs. Right. And I think that, you know, especially for people in that early stage, oftentimes there is not an awareness that they're no longer able to make those financial decisions appropriately. Um, and so I think about one of my friends who's going through this with her mother, who has been redoing her mother's house. The mother has been redoing her house so that my friend and her family can move in. And so they agreed on a contractor and the mother agreed to it. And then all of a sudden, my friend gets a phone call that says, your mom fired me. And she went with sort of an independent contractor. And my friend really feels that the gentleman is taking advantage of her. Mm -hmm. And the mom can't really see that. Mm -hmm. And how does she step in without, um, you know, making her mom feel that she can't make any decisions? So I think what's been really helpful is that oftentimes for family members, if they come to certainly if they, you know, if they come to professionals like, like Tom and Arvet, or if they come to Insight, we can be that third party, that sort of neutral party um, where we don't have necessarily a financial stake in, in what's happening with their assets. But we can have that conversation with them just in terms of, you know, helping them work through the process of, you know, your daughter doesn't want to take control of your money. What she's trying to do is make sure that people aren't taking advantage of you based on your diagnosis. In, in that particular story, did you have an opportunity to talk to the different family members independently as compared to together? Because I, I would imagine that sometimes when, you know, people are sometimes guarded with what they would say when you've got a diagnosed individual sort of in the room, which could be a very different conversation when you interview right. people separately, yeah. whether it's about money or decisions in general. Any insight on that? Yeah, and I think that having that conversation, and I know that Lindsay talked last week about the share plan, and this family is actually doing the share plan. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so Lindsay is having an opportunity to have those conversations about, you know, your daughter, your daughters aren't trying to take control of your money. They're trying to ensure that you have money left if you need to, you know, 
at some point go into, you know, an assisted living facility or something like that. And, and making sure that, again, as, as a parent, that she's not being taken advantage of. But I think for the mom, she's really having a hard time coming to terms with, I really need to, I really need to give up con- financial control at this point, at least of of some aspects of, of mm-hmm, our finances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, I, I was also thinking when you were telling the story that it occurs to me this lack of self-awareness that is sort of pervasive over lots of parts of the diagnoses. One of the things that it, it also is pervasive is sometimes symptoms of paranoia or thinking that people are trying to take, take something, something from me, which was distinct from their expressed personality previous to the diagnosis. Could you spend a little bit of time on that? How how some psychological or behavioral changes can sometimes show up in symptoms related to financial discussions? And also, like before you answer that one, is how it affects the family, right? Because mm-hmm. it really affects the people that are being accused by the one with the diagnosis because they're like, what's going on? This is not my husband. This is not my mom. This is not my dad. And so that causes a lot of drama when that happens. Right. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's important that we are still having those conversations with the person that has been diagnosed. And oftentimes for families, they don't want to talk about the diagnosis. And so it's almost like Mm -hmm. the the parent is or, or the spouse is unaware that they've been given this diagnosis because nobody ever talks about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, part of my role at Insight is really to help families sort of come to terms with what the diagnosis means, um, being able to talk to both the families and the individual living with with the diagnosis in terms of how is their how is their life going to change and the importance of making decisions early. And I think that that is really the key because if somebody is in, you know, more of a middle stage of dementia, they're not going to be making any financial decisions. And I think for families, sometimes they don't want to take away that independence or they don't know how to start those conversations. It's also like the driving. Right. (laughs) Yes. A little bit, a little bit like the driving, but I think it's so important that we have the conversations with with people that are that have been diagnosed in their families so they know again what to expect that it's not going to happen it might not happen overnight and how do we take some of that fear away from them that we are not going to take everything away and, right. and it's and it's really encouraging them and reassuring them that they are still going to have as much control as we as we feel that they can handle where so they are. I would imagine that there's a group of listeners that doesn't have a lot of personal or professional experience with dementia that would have a hard time understanding how a couple can both be in a room with a neurologist and hear a diagnosis, yet be completely shut out of accepting or making any decisions or making any changes in their lives at all because to to the uninitiated the doctor just said that you have some type of cognitive impairment. Shouldn't that be enough to tip over the dominoes in terms of making a whole lot of planning? Could you talk a little bit about what you see some patterns are of, of families processing or not processing that information? And, 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 you know, we'll take that conversation a few different directions. But I think, you know, denial and acceptance is so important about bringing families to a place 
where they might be able to be self-aware and accept help. But could you talk a little bit about that that denial issue that's so common? Sure. And I think what's what's interesting is that the denial doesn't always just come from the person living with the dementia. Sometimes the denial actually comes from the caregiver, um, especially what I find is that adult children oftentimes have a harder time accepting that something is going on with their parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't want they don't want mom or dad to change. They're, you know, kind of making excuses about why they might be making, you know, certain decisions, even though they've heard that diagnosis. And I think for I think for the individual, you know, being in denial, it's it's hearing it a number of times. And I and I think what's also important is helping that individual process the information. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is really the key if we don't understand the, what that diagnosis means ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe somebody, you know, maybe somebody with dementia doesn't really understand what that means. You know, and one of the things we've talked about in previous podcasts is that people don't talk about money and families don't talk about money. So not only are they not talking about the diagnosis, but we know decisions have to be made, but no one wants to talk about money. So now all of a sudden mom or dad needs help, but they have no idea what's going on in the finances because the parents never talk to the kids about it. And the kids are adult children that have their own lives, that have jobs, and they have no idea what's going on in their parents' household financially. And the well spouse may not be the person managing the finances. So now no one knows. Right. So everybody's scrambling. Right. Yeah, that's a big theme of our podcast. People don't talk about money. Oh, and they also don't talk about dementia. Yeah. So right. like the, like yeah. where where do you where do you start breaking that problem down into smaller pieces? Christy, when you're working with families and you see them start to process and start to accept, like what does that look like? How do you know that people's attitudes towards their circumstances are changing. What does that look like with all of the families that you've, you've, you've helped? Yeah. And what's interesting is I was just thinking about a family that I recently helped. The daughter um, contacted me. Her parents live in Florida. Uh, Mom was, you know, just had a diagnosis and really just wanted somebody to help not only her mom process it, but I think for the daughter to help her process it a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. So the, the the mom and dad came up, you know, I talked to the daughter um, a couple of weeks later, the, the mom and dad came up from Florida and the, the woman is a professor and she's still teaching uh, in, a, in a, she still teaches a, a small class in a small school down in Florida. And she was very aware of her diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. She wanted to make sure that her students weren't the ones that sort of said, it's time for you to retire, you know? And so there was that she, you know, she kept asking some really interesting questions about Christy, when will I know, when will I know it's time for me to step down? You know, when do I start telling people? And she was very open and really interested in, in learning and in meeting other people with this diagnosis because Mm -hmm. she didn't know anybody. And what was really interesting all of the recommendations I made, her husband was like, no, we're not doing that. Oh. Mm-hmm. No, we're not doing that. And so I thought it was really interesting where the daughter was totally on board. You know, and this person that has just received this diagnosis is saying, 
I understand this is going to happen. What do I need to do to plan for my future? Mm -hmm. And the husband's saying, no, we don't need to do that now. I don't want anybody to know. And so it's a little bit of, you know, walking, walking family members through that process of, no, we don't need a sign that says, you know, I just received a diagnosis of dementia. But we also need to to make sure that we are including people in that diagnosis that care about us. So if we're starting to have some different behaviors or our personality is changing a little bit, they understand. Uh But I think there's also that fear for people that are living with that diagnosis that their friends aren't going to want to hang out with them them anymore. anymore. You know, it was interesting with this one couple that were clients of ours same thing. He's newly diagnosed. He's fully aware that he's been diagnosed. And it's really important for him and his wife to plan. So they're coming to us like, these are the things we want to do while I can. And these are the things that I know are coming. Help us figure out how to plan. So the life care affordability plan is like perfect for them because they both are engaged and willing to hear one willing to say what they want and, and surround themselves with professionals that are going to support that and also willing to hear from a financial perspective the things they need to do to support those decisions. Yeah, I love Christy's story with the husband that's the one with the acceptance problem. You know, I, I think that, that you know, we're looking at it as, as objective professionals with an arm's length distance. And that, that's, a, that's a him problem. Yep not a her problem. And, and it reminds me of something that I've learned a lot with insight and with a lot of the dementia work about the need to go to where the person is with the diagnosis as much emotionally, right. intellectually as possible. And what, 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 what the gentleman is, is doing, and I mean, he's, he's, he's bringing people to where he is. Like, I'm not ready to have a spouse with dementia. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a lot to do with the way I look at myself in the mirror. And I'm not ready to have all of the attendant changes in my life. And that's an interesting place because when it ropes all the way back to financial decisions, you can have people that are playing that role of a spouse in denial interrupting the flow of good planning where you have the individual with a diagnosis that that's accepting and ready to want. go. Yep. And you have somebody else tapping the brakes because they're not, they're not ready. And I think it's useful just to recognize how predictable and how normal and how pervasive that behavior is that you're looking not just at, you know, denial and acceptance from the individual diagnosed, but, but, but the, the family members as well. Right. And then, you know, from, our years, Christy and I both spent years in the long-term care industry and especially in the assisted living world. He's the one that's going to put his head in the sand. Something's going to happen to her and then he's going to need to look at some kind of assisted living. And yeah, he's going to be an event. He's going to be so not prepared. He's going to be the one to walk in and say, what do you mean it costs that much money? Right. You know? And I think one of the things that as professionals that sort of live to help families in situations like this, having seen this play out so many times, times. like, we know the guy's going to beat himself up yeah. after the event. Yep. Like when he plays it back, it's going to be a rough memory because he's going to be able to identify where he was an impediment to getting his wife the help they need. But that's hard to do in the moment. Mm-hmm. Christy, when families um, are, are taking the approach and you, you sort of alluded to this a little bit with one of your comments where they say things like, 
I will make some plans or I will react or I will acknowledge at the first sign of decline. Like not before, not now yeah. where everything's fine, but like I'm going to wait until some hypothetical some domino falls. Uh, talk a little bit about maybe some stories where you were able to bring people to be able to take some action prior to some event, prior to having to make decisions in an emergency room. Sure. I think about one of our families that as soon as her husband was diagnosed, she she made a plan to move into um, a continuing care retirement community. Mm-hmm. And she had been on the wait list. And then all of a sudden, the community calls her up and says, your number's up. You know, are you ready to move in? And she literally had a panic attack. She was still working part time. And she said, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to move into a continuing care retirement community. And my husband might be ready. But what are my choices? And Mm -hmm. so instead of rushing into a decision, she came into my office and she said, Christy, I need you to save me from myself. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. tell me what are my options? You know, is this the only option I have? And so being able to meet people where they are and walk through that process of what does your home look like? You know, is your home set up where your husband can age in place that if you needed to bring in care, you could? And is he still going to be safe in his home? And so, yes, it was a financial decision. And I think looking at that now they could make plans in terms of do they have to modify and they didn't have to make a lot of modifications to their home, but they can make those modifications before they're going to need them. And I think that was really important for her. Unlike, you know, some other people that I talk to say, I want to stay in my home no matter what, but their home is just not set up right. for the, the safety. safety in that long term. You know, and so it's helping people understand, you know, not only what they want, but what makes the most sense for the individual that's been diagnosed in that long term. And am I going to spend $10,000 a month for an assisted living community or am I going to spend $10,000 to redo my bathroom so it's handicapped accessible? Well, and the nice thing it gives them, the nice thing about the planning part is it lets you play out the different options in your head and see how the numbers work out long term before you find yourself backed up in a corner and you have to make a decision. Yeah. I think that one of the, one of the programs that that we're planning on doing a podcast is staying at home and intentionally aging in place. You said, you know, a lot of families, you know, their idea is I want to stay at home no matter what, that that doesn't mean I want to proactively be intentional to making my home a place that enables me as I get older. Sometimes it's I just don't want anything to change. Right. And that, that's not, not, you know, fear of change and an unwillingness to make a decision is not the same as intentional aging in place on a proactive level. And we encounter this every now and then with some of the life care affordability plans when we zero in on what are the things that you're most hopeful for? And invariably, it's I'm most hopeful that nothing changes. All right, well, let's let's play out nothing changing in terms of staying at home. We have a diagnosis. We can get some clinical assessments about what's going on with the cognitive impairment, what the suitability of the living environment is. And we can get recommendations about what changes need to be made on the physical environment. 
and then we can price them out and we can show you exactly what it is that if that's your new most important thing, like I believe you, let's rally around that and let's do that. I find when you were talking, Arvet, painting that picture and making the active choice of staying at home right. very real for them. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, making sure it's distinct, like I don't want to change and I want to stay mm-hmm. at home and I really want to act to do the things that are going to be enabling me to stay at home. Once they see the picture, I think that clarifies a lot for families what their sets of choices are. Right. You know, like, you mean I got to live through six months of a reconstruction because there's no way we can do the stairs and we got to trick out the place for assisted technology for, you know, whatever it ends up being. That's the thing that would keep my family member the most Most. basically. I'm not going to do that. Right. We should probably just move. And what's interesting, too, in the dementia world, Christy, and you know it better than anybody else. A lot of people say I'm staying at home but they don't really see down the road of the wandering and the behaviors and the this and that. So part also of the planning that you do at Insight and what we do with the Life Care Affordability Plan is we put everything together for the hopeful of staying at home, but we also go down the path, what if home is not an option, right? So we have, as professionals, we need to support them where they are, but also realize Um, that we need to surround ourselves with clinical and legal because we all know that there is another path that this can take. I think that's a good last thought to sort of wrap up some of our podcast ideas. I think that one of the things that Insight and the SHARE plan have in common with Life Care Affordability is how do you go to where the client and the family really is? How do you identify the things that they're most hopeful for and to be able to paint a vision of that that makes that an actual real choice that they can act on right. as compared to it's an unidentified thing that I, I can't get my arms around. Therefore I can't act on it and make subsequent financial decisions. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say just as sort of a wrap up thought as a thanks to, to Christy and to insight as an organization, I think a lot of what we do at life care affordability planning comes from lessons learned from how do professionals like Christy serve families that are trying to find their way, that are trying to uh, seek a guide in in a path that they haven't been before. And everybody's got their own, you know, unique set of circumstances that sometimes look a lot like the the, the paths other people have taken. They just don't know that yet. So I, I just like to say thanks, Christy, again, for these insights today. Um, thank you, Arvet, for fantastic questions again. And uh, Eric, back to you. We're ready to set up uh, uh, the next podcast. And one of the things that I think we're going to be talking about in the future is this idea of how do you intentionally age in place? How do you make sure that your home enables you under all different health futures? So thank you. I think that's great. I, I'm very interested to see what that timeline is. I know that, Christy, I'm sure that everyone's timeline of progression is different. Is that right? That's true. And I think that's one of the one of the hardest things when we when we meet with families is we don't know how long the disease is going to last. And I think it's you know, it's really, again, helping them early on plan for that future. So they're not making decisions in a crisis. Yeah. So that next podcast of of aging in place will be uh, pretty eye opening. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for or, for attending today. Thank you for joining us on the Life Care Affordability Planning Podcast with Tom and Arvet. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tom and Arvet come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. 
Thank you again for listening. For everyone at Life Care Affordability Planning, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. We'll see you next time. Views and opinions provided herein are those of the individual speakers. All content is informational only and is not intended to be an endorsement or recommendation of any particular investment strategy or other course of action. Consult your tax, legal, and financial professions concerning your specific situation. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through SEIA LLC. Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Life Care Affordability Plan is a marketing name for SEIA. Services related to evaluating the client's health care treatment plan are independent of and not endorsed by Royal Alliance Associates Inc.